Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, The Hope of Heaven. Uh, please turn to Revelation chapter 22 today, the very last chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. As you're turning there, let me just say a big, big thank you to all of you in the last two weeks who have chosen to sponsor a child. Here's the, the update I got um, before the first service today. And that is that in the last two weeks, you guys, Calvary has taken on 40 new child sponsorships uh, for the orphans in Haiti. That's a cool thing. I'm excited about that. And so if you haven't yet sponsored a child, you feel God is leading you to do that, I wanna encourage you to stop by our missions table in the foyer, straight through those doors, and talk to one of the people on our missions team, and there's still children who have not been fully supported yet, and you can take care of that today. All right, if you found Revelation 22, just say amen. amen. The title of the message today is The Hope of Heaven. And by the way, this is not the hope so hope, like we define hope in our uh, uh, generation, but it's the sure hope of heaven, the promise of heaven from a God who's not a promise breaker, but a promise keeper. And so we go to the Lord now and we, we're gonna ask his blessing on this time in his word. Father, we're grateful for the fact that um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, your son, Jesus, who was in, a, in the grave, came alive and walked out of the grave. We're grateful, Lord, that Jesus literally, bodily, ascended to your right hand, Father. And we're grateful that when he went up, your spirit came down. Holy Spirit, thank you that we are the temple of you and that we're not our own. Thank you that you're here today. We're not just doing church, but we're grateful, Lord, that we can be the church and that you dwell in us as the church. And, and Lord, I just pray uh, that you, Holy Spirit, would have full reign and control in this room today. That those who need to uh, submit to your will would do that today. That those who need to repent of a sin would, would do that today that those who have never come to you in repentance and faith and received Christ as their Savior and Lord would do that today. Holy Spirit, um, we can't do anything in the flesh. We can't work it up, Father. You've gotta bring it down. We're praying for a revival in our church. We're praying for a spiritual awakening in our community because we know the time is short and eternity is a long, long time. Help us, Lord, to have messages that don't revolve around the happiness of people, but have messages that revolve around your glory. Help us, Lord, to open the Bible and teach the Bible. And we allow your spirit now to do his work in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. all right, well, I wanna be honest with you today, and I, I want you to be honest as well because there's a problem in a lot of evangelical churches where you know this whole thing of if you ever say anything negative, brother, sister, that's wrong because you always gotta keep it positive. Keep making those positive confessions. And when we do that, we stick our head in the sand and we're not realists, okay? So if you wanna be honest today, I wanna be honest and we would have to admit, if we're honest, that life in this world can bring a lot of heartache and pain. It's just the way it is. As fallen human beings, sickness can devastate our bodies. Troubles can devastate our minds. A bad report can shake us emotionally and devastate our emotional makeup. Conflict can come and devastate our relationships. Crime can come and devastate our communities and natural disasters can come, we see it almost every year now, and devastate our cities. Now, that's the world we live in, but it wasn't always like that. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, 
He looked around when he was all done creating the earth, creating the heavens, creating the, um, the, the first man, Adam, um, um, creating the animal kingdom. God looked around and he, here's what he said. It is very good. Can you guys say very good? You see, in the beginning, earth was like a paradise, but how things have changed. You all know the story, right? We learned it in Sunday school. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and as a result of their rebellion against God, not only did they bring a curse upon humanity, they also brought a curse upon the planet that humanity lives on. That's the bad news. The good news of the book of Revelation, since January 1st all the way now to whatever date it is in November, the good news of the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ is gonna come back, he's gonna reverse the curse, he's gonna change everything, he's gonna rescue us. He's gonna rescue us, yeah, that's something we should thank him for. He's gonna rescue us from the mess we have made. Don't blame your mess on God. He's gonna come back and rescue us from the mess we have made of our lives and of our world. God is gonna restore paradise to us. And so I love this point that God gave us paradise in the first two chapters of the Bible and he will restore paradise to us in the last two chapters of the Bible. And so in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis one and two, there was paradise on earth. The perfect man, God gave the perfect man, the perfect woman, put him in a perfect environment. He said everything's very good. But then man exercised his free will, Genesis chapter three, and the fall occurred. And throughout the rest of the Bible, all the way up to the last two chapters, we see the evidence of a fallen humanity and the consequences of sin. But how many of you are thankful for the last two chapters of the Bible? Revelation 21 and 22, why? Because God, who is a promise keeper and not a promise breaker, has promised to restore paradise. And we see that picture, a new heavens and a new earth in chapters 21 and 22. And so last week we started chapter 21, we actually got through the whole chapter, and in that chapter, John, the apostle, the prophet, he, sees another apocalyptic vision of the future. He sees the new Jerusalem descending down to the new earth. And he's blown away by how beautiful this celestial city is. The same city, by the way, that Abraham in um, Hebrews chapter 11 was looking for when Abraham looked for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. Here it comes, Revelation 21, coming down, descending. And John says it's so beautiful, he tries to describe it. He says it's, it's, its radiance is like a rare jewel, clear as glass. And then he says the dimensions of the city, do you remember this? Um, about 1,400 miles long by 1,400 miles wide by 1,400 miles tall, that's a big city. And, and it's about, give or take, the square footage of the moon. And so when you think about this, 1,400 by 1,400 by 1,400 thousand miles, what that means is about from this distance of Florida to Maine to Kansas, and then 1,400 miles high. And around this city, there's this 216-foot jasper wall, and the wall has 12 gates, and it has 12 foundations. John's seeing all of this as he gets a closer look in his next apocalyptic vision. He says, I, I, see, I see three gates on each side of the four walls, this 216-foot jasper wall, um, which is in front of this 1,400-mile-high city, and each gate has inscribed on it the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And John says, I also see 12 foundations uh, um, on this wall, and, and inscribed on each of the foundations are the names of the 12 apostles. And so what we saw last week is that you have Israel, the people of God, and the church, the people of God, forever remembered before the Lord in the new Jerusalem. And so each gate, John goes on to describe in chapter 21, is like a single pearl, 
And when the saints go marching in those pearly gates, what are, we, what are we gonna see? We're gonna see streets, everybody look at me, of gold, not real gold like, like on the earth, but that's the best way he can describe it, streets of gold. And there's no need of any sun, there's no need of any moon in the New Jerusalem, why? Because God the Father and God the Son, right, the, the, the radiant glory that's shining from them, that's all the light you need. And, it's, and their blazing glory is just like shining throughout this translucent city. And so now in the last chapter of Revelation, the description of your eternal home, if you know Christ, and my eternal home uh, continues. We're gonna pick it up in verse one. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so as John enters the celestial city, uh, he sees now the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. His faith becomes sight, and flowing from the Father and flowing from the Son, he sees this pure crystal river of life. Okay, so what does the river of life correspond to? The river of life corresponds to the eternal life that flows from the Father and from the Son, no other source, the Father and the Son. You guys remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter four? And so there's, there's Jesus, and he's in Samaria, and he's sitting at Jacob's well, and there's a woman there, and he begins to talk to her, and he says, he says this to her, um, everyone who drinks this water, and so he's indicating, pointing to probably uh, the, down into the well, Jacob's well, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give will never be thirsty again because the water that I give will be in him welling up like a spring of water, a spring of eternal life. Now this Samaritan woman, by the way, do you remember this? She had five husbands in the past and the guy that she was shacking up with was not her husband. And so what did this lady do? She went from man to man to man to man, trying desperately to find a relationship that would deeply satisfy her. But every relationship left her thirsty for more. None of those relationships with all these men could really fulfill her deepest longing in her heart. She was thirsty again. It's kind of like, you know, me, um, I do the same thing you do. I carry bottled water around with me. And um, you know, I'll take a swig of water, but guess what? 30, 35, 40 minutes later, I'm thirsty again. And I take another swig of water, and then 30 minutes later, I'm thirsty again, I take another swig of water. This woman was going through men like we go through bottled water. Now, why was it so difficult for her to quench that inner thirst? Why did she have such a difficult time trying to quench that inner longing for fulfillment. If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Here's why, newsflash, she was going to the wrong source. There is only one person who can truly satisfy you on the inside. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And that's what I'm here to do as your pastor. I'm here every Sunday to extol the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here to give you a pep talk that revolves around your happiness. Sorry, wrong church. We are here to teach the word of God with the theme of the glory of God. And here's the answer to all your problems. Jesus. It's Jesus. And when this woman finally came to Jesus as her Messiah, guess what he did? He quenched her inner thirst forevermore and he'll do the same for you. He's the answer. This is one thing, uh, one of the reasons I love my wife so much, because in my wife's order of priorities, it's Jesus, number one, and her husband, number two. That's her order, and I like that, because I just can't give uh, my wife everything she needs. I'm a, I'm a fallen, frail human being. But what I love is that every single morning, she gets up, she opens her Bible, and she goes to Jesus. She worships Jesus, and what does he do by his spirit? He fills her up, 
and he satisfies her deep longing. And by God's grace, I do the same thing. It's Jesus number one and my wife number two. And what Jesus has done in my life is he's filled me up. And he's, 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 he's quenched that deep uh, uh, thirst that I have inside of me. So, so ladies and gentlemen, now that I'm filled with God, I'm not going to my wife to try to meet that need. I'm not trying to suck things out of her that she can't give me. No, what am I doing? Guys, listen up, here's some free marriage advice. When you go to Jesus first and he fills you to overflowing, now you're in a position as a husband to serve your wife. Not trying to get something from her, but to serve her. If the answer is Jesus. And so John sees the angel and the angel shows him a river of the water of life and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. And as the river flows in verse two, it flows through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river was the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree, this is so interesting, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so the next thing that John saw in his next apocalyptic vision was the tree of life. And scholars are split, good conservative scholars are split on what all this looks like. It's kind of hard to envision it in your mind. Some say, well, the tree of life is a grove of trees that have been planted on either side of the river, and the river of life's going down the middle. That's what John is trying to describe to us. Others say, no, it's just one big tree of life. In fact, it's so massive, its branches span both sides of the river. Okay, well, the good news is um, one day we'll figure out which it is because we're gonna be there. We're gonna see it. Okay, and so it has a variety of fruit and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Now that has confused some people. It's like, why do we need healing in heaven? Right, look back at chapter 21, verse four. John describing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem so it's the same context. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. And so if there's no more death or crying or pain, why in the world do the leaves of the tree of life, why are they given for the healing of the nations? Well, the answer lies in the original Greek word healing, um, which, by the way, I will try to pronounce the transliteration of it. It's therapia, from where we get our English word therapeutic. I'm so grateful as a, a, a pastor teacher to get help from my friends. I don't know any of them, but they're called Bible commentators. And if you're gonna study end times, one of the names that I wanna throw out there for you is John Walvoord. Excellent, excellent commentator on end times. This is what he says about that Greek word. He says, rather than specifically meaning healing, it should be understood as health giving. The leaves of the tree promote the enjoyment of life in the New Jerusalem and are not for correcting ills that do not exist. Have you guys ever been on a vacation that was just like over the top awesome and it was so great, it was therapeutic? You ever been on a vacation like that? Right, and so, Hey, you were completely healthy when you went on that vacation, but because it was such an awesome vacation, you felt even more healthy. You felt healthier by the time that vacation was over. And so just like a good vacation adds to the enjoyment of our physical and emotional health, so the, the, the New Jerusalem is gonna be therapeutic. It's gonna add to the enjoyment of our spiritual lives. I mean, think about it. New Jerusalem, new heavens, new earth, there's no, no more pain, there's no more stress, there's no worry, there's no more fear, there's no more deadlines, there's no more frantic pace trying to get everything done, there's no more pressure. My favorite, there's no more people problems in the New Jerusalem. There's just love, joy, 
peace, and deep spiritual satisfaction. And so the leaves are given for the health giving of the nations. And now look at verse three. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed. Why is there no more curse? Because the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And his servants will do what for him? Worship him, no more curse. When Adam and Eve, again, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, as I said earlier, they plunged the whole world under a horrible curse. Now, have you ever thought about what are the results of the curse? And by the way, as I've said before, you know, when we get to heaven, we can't take Adam and Eve to the side and say, thanks a lot, because we would have done the same thing. No, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think you would, and so would I. Okay, but what's the result of the curse? Um, the first one, the worst, is our sin nature. All of us are born with an inherent sin nature. We're sinners by birth and by choice. Another thing, ladies, uh, ever experienced this? Pain in childbirth. It wasn't like that pre-fall or it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been like that pre-fall, but it is absolutely one of the results of the curse. Not only that, um, difficulty in work. I used to think back when I was first a Christian that work was a result of the fall. And then I read it a little closer and I found out, no, no, Adam was working before the fall. And so part of the curse is difficulty. You know, you're gonna work by the sweat of your brow. Uh, sickness and disease, part of living in a fallen world, no matter how much you name it and claim it, no matter how much positive confession, we live in a fallen world that's filled with sickness and disease. It's the way it is. Old age, frailty, weakness. Paul says all creation's groaning. That's the world we live in. And the worst thing is death. But hey, in the new world, in the new city, the celestial city, God is there, and so there's no more curse. Now look at verse four. Here's the best part of heaven. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign for how long? Forever and ever, as I said last week, the best part of heaven, it's, it's not the pearly gates, it's not the streets of gold, it's not the crystal river, it's not even the tree of life. The best part of heaven will be the fact that we're gonna see God. That leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, in the New Jerusalem, we will see the face of God. It's called the beatific vision. The word beatific simply means blessed, it's the blessed vision. When Moses wanted to see God's glory, he went to, him, went to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And do you guys remember how God responded to Moses? It's Exodus 33:20. God said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You cannot see my face, Moses, why? You're in a mortal body. We're in mortal bodies, so right now we can't see God's face. I always laugh whenever I hear, and I just heard this three weeks ago, how people, you know, they make statements like this. They've had a hard time in life. Something bad happened, right? And so they make statements like, well, well when, I, when I get up to heaven and I see the man upstairs, he's got some explaining to do to me. Are you kidding me? You have no clue, all hoity-toity with God, as if you're up here and he's down here. No, reverse the order. In, your, in our mortal bodies, listen, we could not even see the face of God, why? Because we would be zapped like that. It's kinda like, you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Dorothy accidentally throws the bucket of water trying to put the fire out on Scarecrow, but it hits the wicked witch of the West, and next thing you know, I'm melting, right? That's what would happen to you if you saw the face of God. So don't go with his, his, his attitude, oh, he's got some explaining to me. Where were you when God created the heavens and the earth? Come on. 
And so here's the good news though. One day Christ is gonna give us a brand new, immortal, glorified body. And then we're gonna be able to gaze into the face of the great I am. What in the world is that gonna be like? It's the beatific vision. Norman Geisler in his systematic theology put it this way. Speaking about the beatific vision, it will be the ultimate aesthetic experience. No mountain, however grand, no rainbow, however bright, no sunset, however blazing, will compare with this infinite blast of ultimate beauty. You see, in that day, we're gonna experience what Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 13, 14, I'm sorry, 13, 12. He said, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. In that day, when we're up in the New Jerusalem in our new immortal body by God's grace and grace alone, and we see, we gaze into his face, um, Jesus' words are gonna be fulfilled in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can you imagine looking into the face of the great I am? The immortal, immutable, infinite, eternal creator. You, you may be here today and you may say, can't be true. Well, if that's your attitude, verse six is for you. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and what? It's gonna happen. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. He says, these words are trustworthy and true. Ladies and gentlemen, the book of Revelation is trustworthy and true. Every chapter, every verse, every single word is absolutely true. The book of Revelation is not some fanciful dreams of some old man stuck on an island. They're not deep, dark secrets that we have to have some special kind of code to figure out the hidden treasures in Revelation. No, this is the straightforward, plain word of God. And it's on the same level of authority and inspiration as Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all the rest. It's truth. And if you'll read it, and if you'll heed it, Revelation 1.3 says you'll be blessed. It says now in verse seven, this is Jesus talking, behold, I am coming soon. And by the way, um, not in the notes, but just, just, a, just a quick note for you guys. Um, God, you gotta understand, if you're new to the Bible, God wants every generation to live with the expectancy that he could come at any moment. It's called the doctrine of eminence. And so it's not like, you know, you know, Jesus is coming way down there. It's more like every generation since he left is kind of like on this line between eternity and this temporal world. And we're walking on this line and no one knows the day or the hour. But at any moment, the Lord could come and get his bride and take us home to be with him. That's how the Lord wants us to live, with that kind of expectancy. And so behold, I'm coming soon. And by the way, in our generation, the fact that Israel is back in their land in the fulfillment, partial fulfillment of prophecy, that should really wake us up. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, so how do you keep the words of the prophecy of this book? You live like he could come today. You let the, the hope of heaven change your life and determine how you live. Look at verse eight. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, <laughs> I fell down to worship at the feet of who? The angel. And you know, when I was studying this week, I thought, John, not again. You're, you're worshiping an angel again? And I, I, I checked my attitude because one day I will die and I will meet John in heaven. And I don't want to say anything bad about the man, okay? <laughs> so I, we probably do the same thing. But he fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them these visions to me, verse nine. But he said to me, you must not do that. 
So can you vision it? There's John, he falls down before an angel and the angel says, you must not do that. Can you guys say that phrase, you must not do that? Go ahead. You know, stop worshiping people, stop worshiping things, just worship the Lord. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. And so John's so amazed by these visions, he's so amazed by this angel that shows him the visions, he falls down and the, the angel says, you must not do that. Now, here, here's what's interesting to me. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I see a lot of times people falling down to worship Jesus over and over again. And not once have I ever read in any of the gospels when someone kneels down or falls down before Jesus, I've never once read Jesus saying, you must not do that. Do you know why? Because Jesus is more than just a man and he certainly is not an angel. Jesus was and is God. Now ladies and gentlemen, that's Orthodox Christianity. And if you're here today and you do not believe that Jesus was and is God, you have believed heresy that's damnable, that started way back in the early church and that's another sermon for another time. But that same heresy that started way back in the early church days, of course it's alive and well today and it's possessed by all those people who knock on your door every single Saturday. Don't believe a word of it. Jesus was and is God, and yet people still persist. Well, I think, you know, he's just a great moral teacher. And I say, really? Check out the statements that Jesus made about himself in the book of John. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And my favorite, before Abraham was what? I am. I am. Does that sound familiar? Moses, take off your sandals. As Moses stands before the bush that's burning but not consumed. Well, who are you, Lord? I am that I am. And Jesus said, before Abraham, who lived 2,000 years B.C., he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, here's, here's a test. You can answer out loud, okay? Here's participation going on here. If Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, I'm the bread of life, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the great I am. If he said those things, and he's not really those things, what would that make Jesus? A liar. A liar. Okay, and so don't say he's a great moral teacher because you can't be moral and a liar at the same time, right? And as, as, as we're gonna see C.S. Lewis has said in, in the past, if he said those things, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic, right? And so no lunatic can be a great teacher. He's a lunatic, okay? So we've gotta choose. And I've quoted this probably 10 times in the last 13 years but I'm gonna quote it again because if you've never gotten mere Christianity, you need to get it. C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. I love C.S. Lewis. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him like a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so when you look at the statements of Jesus, based on those statements, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. 
or he's the Lord. And each one of you personally must make a choice. Who is he to you? And if you say, he's the Lord, well, here's your next step. Fall down and worship him. Submit your will to his will, no matter how hard that might be. Let him be Lord of your life. And you know, some people, they have a hard time submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ because they're afraid God's gonna send them uh, or make them do something they don't wanna do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some people's thinking is, man, if I submit to the lordship of Christ, he's gonna send me you know, to some village in Haiti and I'm gonna live in poverty the rest of my life. I'm gonna be so unhappy. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's God's will for you, you'll be happier than Haiti than you'll ever be in poor St. Lucie. So just do what God's called you to do. Just to submit to the Lord's will. And I'm saying that for myself too. Just do what God's called each one of us personally to do. If you want fulfillment, you want happiness, and you want joy from the Lord, that's what we gotta do. We got to submit to his lordship. Look at verse 10 now. I I love this. This is for pastors. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That is a great exhortation for pastors. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Pastors, don't seal it, reveal it. Don't avoid it, declare it. Teach revelation. What are we doing? Saying that revelation is too hard to understand, I'll confuse our people, I can't teach revelation. What you're doing is you're withholding from your people a blessing. Do you guys remember that in Revelation 1-3? For those who read and heed the words of this prophecy, that person will be blessed. And so if you really wanna be blessed by God, this is the only book in the Bible that has any such promise. If you wanna be blessed by the Lord, read and heed the words of this prophecy. Teach Revelation. So I wanna encourage you guys. I've been giving you good names ever since January when we started uh, teaching Revelation, jo- names like John MacArthur, names like Norman Geisler, na- names like Warren Wearsby, names like John Walverd, names like uh, Dwight Pentecost and all these guys. Um, and I wanna encourage you to uh, download our podcast. Okay, so if you have an iPhone, all you have to do is um, download the, um, the, the podcast, Calvary Port St. Lucie, at the App Store. If you have an Android, you know, we'll pray for you. I don't know what you do, okay? So, can you guys see, see, see what I, I have? Okay. And so what you do is Calvary Poor St. Lucie. After today, we're gonna have the whole book of Revelation free. We're not charging for any of this stuff. All the teachings are free. And so share that with a friend. Let them get in on the blessing too. And then for you who have Androids, I'm just kidding, you can get that on Google Play. All right. Look at verse 11 now. This is sobering. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. In other words, it's time to make a choice. It's time to get off the fence. You're either in or you're out. If you really wanna be an evildoer, go for it. If you really wanna be filthy, go for it. But here's the warning of God. If you die as an evildoer or you die as a filthy person, you have sealed your character for all eternity and a billion with a B years from now, you'll still be an evildoer. And a billion years from now, you'll still be filthy. But if you'll respond to God's love and grace and you'll turn to Christ in repentance and faith, he'll impute his righteousness to you and what's gonna happen? 
you're gonna do what's right. Not perfection, but you're gonna do what's right. You're gonna be holy. See how that works? Some of you, some of you guys, you really gotta get off the fence. What is the definition of integrity? What is the definition of character? It's what you do when no one's looking. And some of you guys are coming to church, Bible in hand, but your lives are unholy and they're filthy in the dark. And God's calling you right now to repent. Because ladies and gentlemen, I have friends who are firefighters and they tell me all the time, I deal with people who die right in front of me. They didn't wake up that morning thinking they're gonna die. So, so don't think you got till you're 80 or 90 or 100. That might not be true. Make a choice. Exercise your free will. I hope you'll choose Jesus. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here's another claim of deity from Jesus. He says, I am Alpha, that's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. I am Omega, that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, modern day lingo, I'm the A to Z. I'm the eternal one. I was there in the beginning, I started it all. I'm gonna be there in the end, I'm gonna end it all, right? Check this out if you wanna go a little bit deeper. John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the word. Who was the word? Shout out his name. Okay, so, so check this out. In the beginning was the word. In other words, in the beginning, the creation of this material universe, and please don't tell me um, you know, that material things can create material things. Duh, that's stupid. <laughs> Everything's winding down, which means everything had a beginning. In the beginning was the word. He was all, Jesus was already there in the beginning. That's why Micah 5.2 says that his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He's the eternal God. He says, I was there in the beginning. I'm the alpha. I'll be there in the end. I am the omega. And so another claim of deity, Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is not just a prophet as Islam says. Okay, and so, hey, Muslim people, here, here's, what they, here's their official doctrine. Jesus is not God. He's a prophet. He never died on a cross. And he never rose again. Okay, so what's the most loving thing that we can do to, for, uh, for Muslims? Is it to authenticate their religion by joining hands with them and doing religious stuff with them? No. No, the most loving thing we can do for a Muslim man or a Muslim woman is to say, hey, brother, I love you, but Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That's it. And you say, well, that'll offend them. I'd rather offend somebody and tell them the truth than not offend them and let them just die without ever getting the truth. And so, do we um, respect their religion? No, not at all. It's a false religion that's damning millions of souls. But we respect each individual person, absolutely, because they're made in the image and the likeness of God. Do you see the difference there? We respect and love the person, but we do not respect any false religious system ever. And so it's time for the church to stop being politically correct and to just preach and teach God's word in love and let the chips fall. Well, that'll stop people from coming. So what? Ladies and gentlemen, the, 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 the um, indicator of a successful church is not how big the crowd is. The indicator of a successful church is how many people are being discipled into lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's the indicator of a, of a real church. Okay, and so Jesus is way more than a prophet. He's God. He's way more than a moral teacher. He's God. One with the Father. 
Blessed, verse 14, are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside, okay, outside the New Jerusalem, far, far away, are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral. There it is again. We already covered this in Revelation 21.8, but God's repeating himself. You know why I wonder, everybody look at me please for a second. You know why, why, why I think God repeats himself? Because we ain't listening. That's why. He's so loving, he's so kind, he's so gentle. He's saying, hey, wake up. And some people, I'm sure, accuse me of being a prude because I'm always talking about safe sex for marriage. Listen, I'm not a prude, I'm just teaching verse by verse. That's what happens when you teach verse by verse. Here it is again. Outside the New Jerusalem are sexually immoral people. It's right there in black and white. And murderers, and adulterers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So just like we said last week in 21.8, if you're taking notes, the evidence in verse 15 points to unbelief. I said the sinner's prayer. Yeah? So you said a little poem. Did you actually come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and realize that you're a sinner in need of a savior? And did the Holy Spirit come in and regenerate your heart so that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come? Or did you just say a prayer? You see the difference there? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleading with you. Stop being religious. Stop knowing about Jesus in your head. Get right with God and know him in your heart. Get into a relationship with Jesus. Eternal life is knowing Jesus, not knowing about him, knowing him. And so outside, far, far away from the New Jerusalem is this place called the Lake of Fire and there's dogs there. What does that mean? I looked it up. People with impure minds. That's what it means. Sorcerers, pharmakeos, those who are involved in mind-altering drugs and the occult. Pharmakeos, from where we get our word pharmacy. Sexually immoral, we already covered it. Pornos, from where we get our word pornography. So those who are involved in sexual activity outside of marriage. Murderers, those who deliberately take another life. I'm not talking about self-defense or times of war. And by the way, if you're a soldier and you were on a battlefield, and you took the life of an enemy, you're not a murderer, you're a hero. Thank you, okay? <laughs> Idolaters, those who worship other gods, those who practice falsehood, that's, that's those people who lie to cover up their, oh, I was gonna say rear end, but they are always lying, they're always lying to protect themselves. Just lie, lie, lie. Now. If, if we practice, please say the word practice. Okay, that's what we talked about last week. If you practice impurity, sorcery, immorality, murder, idolatry, lying with no repentance, there's evidence in your life you're not a true believer. Okay, look, look at verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things, to the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David and I am the bright and morning star. I love those two phrases, those two titles. Here's the first one. This is really quick, but this is awesome, okay? I am the root, everybody say root. And the descendant, say descendant. Okay, so right there in those, that little phrase, that's the deity of Christ right there. I am the root. What does it mean to be the root? The source. I'm the source of David. What does that mean? Jesus created David. And I'm the descendant. What does that mean? I'm a family member. I'm a man. Jesus, the only one in the universe, the perfect God-man. And then he says, I am the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star. Okay, so if you get up tomorrow, about an hour before sunrise, you guys are here at third service, so that means that none of you are gonna do this, okay? <laughs> but if... You get up an hour before sunrise tomorrow and you look toward the eastern sky and it happens to be a clear day, you're gonna see the morning star. Which by the way is the name we commonly give to the planet Venus, it's not really a star. Now the morning star has a message for the world. 
the message of the morning star is this. Night is almost over. A new day is dawning. Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. What does that mean? Night is almost over. Evil will not continue indefinitely on this world. Believe me. A new day is dawning. He could come at any moment to snatch up his bride. Are you ready? If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ with your eternal life and your life here on earth, listen to this invitation. We're gonna read from 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. Listen to this invitation. The spirit and the bride say what? And let the one who hears say what? And let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without Without price, it's free, free gift of salvation. But notice that, let the one who desires, right now, if you desire to come to Christ, you, you need to act on that. Because next week you may not desire. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Okay, so if you have a desire to come to Christ or come back to Christ, if you've been far away from the Lord, hey, that's the Lord working in your heart. You gotta respond. Eight, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book, um, um, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. In other words, quick synopsis, don't mess with God's word. Verse 20, who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And all God's people said, amen. 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 One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we wanna help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.